Welcome yeah. to <laughs> Apostolic Truckers, episode two. This is the testimony oh, of David Mann. <laughs> as, as best as uh, can be described. Oh, uh, yes. Well, we're going to do this <laughs> one, and uh, it's a fresh whole start. And we're going to do this as uh, 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 I am host Stephen Lewis. And this is the other host. What's your name? David Mann, Brother Mann. Brother David Mann. And uh, we're doing this podcast. Uh, we did the first, if anybody remembers, the first episode was uh, my testimony. We're doing as a host introduction. And so this next one is going to be uh, David Mann's testimony and uh, uh, introduction about himself. An introduction, once again, about Apostolic Truckers podcast as we're doing this because we felt it was necessary. We have a lot to say, a lot of things to cover, testimonies, so on and so forth. And so, without further ado, we're going to let Brother Man tell us a little bit about himself, where he came from, how God brought him out. Go ahead, Brother. All right, Brother. Appreciate it. Um, and just uh, <clears throat> just to kind of throw this out there, we're, we don't do this to glory in ourselves, but just to kind of let people know that, that the grace of God is, is uh, very overwhelming at times that it really doesn't matter the lifestyle you came out of um, God's willing to accept you into the sheepfold um, and so um, I grew up in a in a family of seven children I was number six um, by a single dad <clears throat> I don't uh, remember too much about my mom uh, when she was living with us. I have a few memories of my mom living with us, um, but from the early age of four, five, maybe, I, I really don't remember her being around as far as uh, living with us. But she did come around at times growing up to bring us presents and, and uh, you know, sweets and stuff like that. But as far as growing up, um, she wasn't in my everyday life um, like my dad was. Um, let's see, we moved to Huntsville, Texas when I was five years old. And my dad used to take us to a uh, Catholic church. And um, that was pretty much our life, you know, uh, home, school, church. Uh, we didn't really do a whole lot of extras as far as going to parks and going to, you know, different fun things, you know. Uh, Dad worked a lot, you know, trying to provide for us. We had a lot of things around the yard, um, you know, raising rabbits and goats and and chickens and things, trying to to do things to bring finances into our house so that we could uh, pretty much survive. But um, I, I remember things in my life started really uh, taking shape at the age of eight. Um, like I said, when you're that young, you really don't remember a whole lot of things. But um, so my memory of, of growing up, it just seems like it started out kind of staunched. Um, know at the age of eight my dad just 
quit taking this to the church all together. And so we were left kind of to our own devices. In my view, he was kind of a, de- a depressed man. Um, I've seen him drinking a lot. Uh, and he used to hide out in a uh, little room that we had. We had, uh, like I said, we had raised rabbits. And we had at one time about 200 rabbits. We had a little area set up back there where he would like to, he would go and sit down and listen to old country music and, and just drink. Um, and I think that's where he would go to try to, you know, just kind of escape from reality. And as a young man growing up, as a young child growing up, I kind of uh, adopted that for myself. And at a young age, I used to go in there just to sit by my dad, you know, while he was going through his little emotional deals and and I would just kind of sit in there and watch him and uh, pretty soon that would be my escape later on in life I would do things like this but my dad um, had this thing where in the summer days when we were at home uh, from school he was working during the day and in school days he would work at night, so we really didn't see a whole lot of my dad throughout the week. Um, but this summer, this particular summer, uh, when I was nine years old, is what kind of seemed to start shaping our family or, or, or breaking apart our family, as it was uh, when one, one morning my dad was at work and the, some kids from down the road uh, came over um, and they used to come over every day and they would bring stuff into the house and you know that's when we started you know taking up cigarette smoking and and a lot of cussing we'd learned a lot of new cuss words um, in that area yeah and then no 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 I'm just listening Okay, I, I must have a little echo or something in here. But um, they would also bring in like uh, X-rated, X-rated movies for us. You know, we would sit down and watch. And... Hey, brother, I'm getting a really bad uh, feedback in this thing. Is that better? Is that uh, better? Yeah, it's a little better. Yeah. I think, I think it was because of the way I had the way I had the, the mic turned. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, that's fine. No, but um, we went this whole summer uh, just getting involved in things that we shouldn't have gotten involved in, and it all came to fruition one day. My dad, uh, I believe, he came home early, and my oldest sister was pretty banged up uh, from hooking our bicycles up to one of our friend's motorcycles and uh, they were pulling the bike down the dirt road and she fell and she got all rocks all in her face and in her arms and and uh, my dad came home early that day and she was pretty much bleeding you know out the face and he was concerned about what happened and uh, we just kind of laid it out on the table what everything we were doing that summer and it and it put like a 
big time mistrust in us. You know, my, my dad didn't feel like he could trust us anymore over a lot of situations. And pretty much that's how our our relationship with our dad be, uh, started trending from here on out. Um, it's like we couldn't do anything without my dad questioning, like, are they serious or are they being honest with me? And, you know, as, as I look back now, that's not a really good relationship to have with your children. You know, not to be able to trust them. Uh, yeah. And every little thing. But my dad did some did some strange thing. He worked at a prison and he used to do stuff when we got home. He would literally put us up against the wall and he would run his hands up and down our pockets and our clothing like they would frisk an inmate and uh, to see if we had anything, you know, like tobacco, like cigarettes or, uh, you know, chewing tobacco or, or anything yeah. of that nature. Or anything um, that was just and not that, proper for a child. <laughs> right. And that seemed to be that seemed to be the uh, the trend and and at a I believe at the, about the age of ten years old I was addicted to cigarettes and uh, I remember uh, my teachers one day calling me into the counselor's office and there was the counselor, there was the school nurse, and there was the principal. And I sat down, and they—I remember them asking me, you know, how many cigarettes a day do I smoke, and all this stuff, and, you know. And then I get this lecture from the school nurse about how cigarettes are bad for you and everything. But at at that age, um, and the attitude that I had, um, I really didn't care. <laughs> and I told them, I said, "Well, that's my business, not yours." And, um, you know, that was just the attitude I had growing up. You know, my dad wouldn't tell me what to do as far as, because he knew what was going on. I mean, he even, to save money, he would buy uh, them big buckets of uh, the roll your own cigarettes. Yeah. And we would sit around, we would sit around on the floor and he would dump the tobacco on the floor. And all of us kids would sit around and roll cigarettes for him. And, uh, of course, we would pocket them, you know, pocket some of them for ourselves. But, you know, that's the kind of that's the kind of thing he did so he could save money. And he knew we was taking them and he just never said anything about it. You know, I guess it was all right. And at this time, when I was 10, I think five of us were addicted to cigarettes uh, of, my, of my siblings. And uh, I think it was I was 11 years old when I was introduced to uh, the United Pentecostal Church. And the way that came about was I had a friend that had just moved in down the road from us. And I went to, I used to go over there and play ball with them all the time. And, and uh, they asked me one Saturday if I wanted to stay the night and go to church with them in the morning. And uh, I got permission from my dad, who at this time had never met, the, met, met them. He just you know, let me go. <laughs> you know, it's funny how now, you know, nowadays my kids, if they want to go spend the night with somebody, I'm like, no, man, I don't know them. I don't know their parents. I don't know nothing about them. Right. But it seemed like it was so easy. Oh, <laughs> 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 um, man. I think I drive my kids crazy because we are very particular about that. In fact, I don't think, unless it was with their gaga, 
I don't think my kids have ever stayed one night away from home. Well, here, let me let me say something real quick. I just want to insert this because I said this in episode one and you're just reiterating and you're you're showing you may think you know that your kids are not doing stuff. If you don't if you don't really tell them and you're not really hooked with them like you should be, they will do things that you don't think that they're capable of doing. So yeah. that in there. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's got to be relationship. There's got to be a relationship and and yeah. uh I try with my kids not, you know, I pray pray to God that I don't fail them, you know. Yeah. Um, but pray don't fail mine. Yeah. But anyways, he, he let me go. Uh, I stayed the night there. The next morning we got up and went to uh, United Pentecostal Church in Trinity, Texas, Trinity, Texas, called the uh, Calvary Tabernacle United Pentecostal Church. And I remember it just seemed like the most fun I ever had in my life was at Sunday school. And then uh, stayed for service that uh, afterwards. And uh, when they brought me back home, all I could do was tell my siblings about it. You know, hey, I had so much fun, this and that, and y'all should go and everything. So that evening, uh, we went to church, all of all of us kids, all seven of us. And uh, some of us enjoyed it. You know, some of us didn't. But I think, I think maybe five of us um, really claved to it and uh, started going on a regular basis. My brother got the Holy Ghost at a camp. Um, and then when we got home uh, after that summer camp uh, and he told my dad about it, I think the persecution from my dad really started then because my bro- my oldest, not my oldest brother, it was the brother in between me and my brother, my oldest brother. Um, he was kind of the, uh, oh man, I don't want to offend him. <laughs> he wasn't. <laughs> I'm not going to say that, but he was very, he was, he was very cautious and aware of himself. I mean, he used to, you know, he wouldn't go outside, take out trash without, you know, dressing nice, you know, just because that was the way he is. He always made good grades in school. Um, you know, he was always, always that kind of a kid. Um, Yeah. But my older brother, he was kind of a the opposite from him. You know, he was the one always getting in trouble at school, and and uh, but my it, to to all of us, it seemed like that my oldest brother was my dad's favorite, and then my dad would always do for him or pay more attention to him. So when Michael came back and he had the Holy Ghost and he told my dad about it, my dad really raked him over the coals. And and it cha- it made my brother change because at that point on he didn't want anything to do with church after that, um, and he started following in the same footprints as my oldest brother. Um, this kind of changed his his whole perspective on life, and you know if, if, if dad can't appreciate me being good, maybe he'll appreciate me being naughty. You know, being Ain't that bad. Sad. That's sad. So it, it, it left where it was four of us now that was uh, going to church. And, and I think it empowered my dad to see my bro- brother quit 
I think it kind of gave him leverage um, to to really start persecuting us. And when I say persecute, I, you know, I'm not talking about cutting our heads off and you know burning us alive, you know. But yeah. he he really mis misspoke to us, really downgraded us, called us, uh, said we were going to a cult and that we were cult members and and. Uh, he used to get mad at my sisters because they chose not to wear pants anymore. Tell them, you look so much prettier with makeup on. Don't you want the boys to like you? You know, just really, just really talking down on them. Um, but my two sisters were strong, you know. Uh, me and my little sister, we have yet to have the Holy Ghost. Um, my two older sisters, they received the Holy Ghost. And they were baptized in Jesus' name. And then, um, but the I remember when my grandma Goolsby died, I was about 12 years old, when my grandma, uh, my mom's mom died, and we were just all full of tears, we were hurt, we didn't, you know, and my dad couldn't calm us down, it was on a Sunday morning, uh, we had went to church and we came back and we found out that grandma passed away, and, and all my dad could do was say, hey, what can I do to make y'all happy, you know, what can I do, and we just wanted to go to church that night, uh, I failed to mention that my dad had limited our church to just Sunday morning. You know, he wouldn't let us go on Sunday evenings or on Wednesday evenings anymore. So it was just Sunday mornings. But we told him that all we wanted to do was go to church. And uh, so he let us go to church that night. I believe that was the night I got the Holy Ghost. And my little sister got the Holy Ghost. And we were so excited about it. And... We got back home, and they were going to baptize us, but we had to get Dad's permission. And we got back home, and we talked to my dad about it. And my dad, Judah, thought we stole every precious thing in the house and, and <laughs> threw, it in, threw it in fire or something because he, he was upset. He felt like we betrayed him uh, because we we were, uh, at one point in my life, we we – we went through all the, the Catholic rituals where we were, you know, dotted on our head, you know, with the cross, you know, and we, yes. we did the communion and all that. So we, in his mind, we were established in the Catholic church. So when we asked to be baptized, it just, it was big time betrayal. You've already been baptized. I don't care what you do. You want to go to that cult, go to that cult. In my mind, you've already been baptized. <clears throat> So we took it as, yes, you can be baptized. And so we went back to the church. Uh, I think it was a, maybe a couple of weeks later, we went back. This is when we got baptized in Jesus' name for remission of sins. And um, when we got back home, uh, my, my dad really, really started putting the pressure on us after that. And uh, he would talk about the pastor and, you know, they're brainwashing you and all this nasty stuff. And, and uh, it got to a point where my two oldest sisters decided that they were going to move out. The, the, the two sisters that were in church, that they was just going to move out. And one of them went to go live with her boyfriend. Uh, the other one went to go live with another family in the church. And it left me and my little sister there. My oldest sister, who wasn't in church, she had moved out. Because uh, she went to go live with her fiance, but my two brothers, 
they had both ran away from home at this point. Mm. So it was just me and my sister living with my dad, <clears throat> my baby sister. And my my baby sister, she kind of got... I, I'm not trying to make my dad sound like, you know, something he's not, but there was a lot of th- th- times that my dad would speak inappropriate to me and my sister both. And I was scared for my little sister, you know, just the way he was talking. And uh, she ended up moving out and going to live with mom. And I, I tried to go live with mom. Um, and I think I was there for about three months and it just wasn't wasn't working out. Because I, I, I realized that my mom... Uh, really, I, I really didn't feel like my mom wanted me. Now, I, I, I mentioned last night we kind of tried to do this, and I kind of backed out on it last night. But I mentioned to you last night about a time that my dad packed me and my sister up and took us to my mom's house. And my mom basically begged me to call dad and ask him to take us back because she couldn't really deal with us. And I had feelings then. Of, of unwanting, of unwantedness, you know, like my mom didn't want me, she, you know, she, and so whenever I moved back to my mom's, I started feeling that again, and I, I, I felt like my sister was being favored over me, and she was getting a lot of opportunities that I wasn't getting, and it was affecting my school, of course, I wasn't much for school anyways, and so I was with my mom for about three months and then I moved back in with dad. And at this point in my life, I had quit the church uh, because I, the persecution of my dad got too strong. I had quit the church. I was already smoking marijuana. Um, at a young age, I had already broken into my first house, um, already started drinking. Um, so when I moved back in with my dad, it was like a whole nother, like my dad had this kind of this attitude like, oh yeah, I'm the only place you can go, huh? Nobody else wants you. And he used to tell me all the time concerning my brothers and sisters, he used to tell me all the time that that my brothers and sisters didn't just leave him, they left me too because they didn't want anything to do with me also. Mm-hmm. And so that kind of was imprinted in my mind, and I, I struggled with that for the longest time. Still do it at times. Well, but, uh, let me ask you a question. It got me place. Let me ask you a yes, quick sir. question. Did that bring feelings of like uh, of hopelessness or depression? Like you said, you felt like your father. You felt like your father was a depressed man. Did that bring those same feelings to you? I don't think it brought depression until later on in life. I mean, I wasn't big time depressed. I, it felt more like a, more of a rejection and it kind of hardened me to like, well, I can take care of myself and I don't need anybody. If they don't need me, I don't need them. That was the, kind of the attitude I had. It, it wasn't depression. Uh, because at that point, I was like, well, you know, if you don't like me, that's your problem. Yeah. You know, I am what I am. I can, you know, I'm not going to change. To, <clears throat> excuse me. I'm not going to change to nobody. I'm just going to be me. And, you know, I I had a lot of 
drugs in my system to kind of keep me at bay. <laughs> yeah. For lack of better words. It, I don't I don't feel like it brought depression um, until later on in life and, and I'll I'll get to that shortly. But it, it was more of a lesson. If, you know, if you're going to reject me, I'm going to reject you. And if you're going to keep, you know, putting me down like that, I won't be around you. And, and that's what I did. I, I did everything I could um, to stay other places. So I would go stay with friends. And when my welcome wore out there, I would go somewhere else. And, and I would only go back home when I knew dad wasn't home. And uh, in that time, I was involved. I was you know, smoking crack. I got uh, introduced to cocaine. I was snorting cocaine, uh, drinking a lot. Uh, I think I did more marijuana than anything else in my life. But um, when I didn't have marijuana at a young age, I was doing stupid stuff like huffing chemicals, <laughs> gasoline, freon, paint, you know, just a hard stuff. stuff. That, <laughs> Only a, a young dumb. Yeah, I understand. Would think about yeah. and and uh, so I would mean I had a couple of friends that we would go around and we would rob houses. We've we've robbed a few houses in our time, and we would we would steal stuff like guns and we would look for money but if we found guns we knew we could get rid of guns really we wouldn't get a lot of money for it you know you know that situation yes but we was just trying to get some weed or get some crack or something to get get us high because we we felt like you know we wasn't high we was miserable (laughs) not like i said not depressed just, just young kids wanting to party all the time and uh, neither one of us, me or my friends, had driver's license. So uh, I told you this last night. My friend would steal his mom's car, and we would have some weed. And we would just we'd be gone for a few days until all the weed was gone, and then we'd come back home. And and uh, his parents would be so excited uh, they were hurt that he was gone that when they get we got back, they were like, "Oh, you know, are you okay?" Uh, now you need to not do that again, you know, because we were so worried about it. <laughs> but my dad would be like, dude, he, my dad would be like, you're lucky you didn't get caught. You know, it, it, it's not like I didn't feel the concern. Yes. My friend, I know it feels like I'm feeling sorry for myself. But, no, I didn't. It, said, it just um, sounds like you're telling how it went. It is what it is, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I didn't feel that concern. So, you know, he was more or less saying stuff like, yeah, you'd have been in prison and I'd have been your security guard and, you know, stuff like that. And uh, I just, that's something I didn't want to hear anymore. Um, so at the age of 16 is when I contacted my sister who was living in uh, Cherryville at the time and uh, went to go live there for, with her for a while and uh, that's in Cherryville where I dropped out of high school um, they was trying to put me in 11th grade um, and in, in Texas my education went as far as 9th grade and I wasn't cutting it I was starting to get involved with the wrong people in Cherryville 
so um, I realized that my welcome was wearing out with my brother-in-law. So yeah. uh, I decided to go back to Texas, go back to my dad, and go back to the same attitude as, oh, yeah, I'm the only one. You know, nobody else will take you. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I, I bought a car. I was 18. Uh, I, bought, I had a job, and I bought a little cheap car. It was an Oldsmobile uh, a 77 Delta 88. So it was a big car. And I remember one day going, I didn't have the money. We had drugs. I remember filling the tank up with gas, had about five people with me, and we just hit the road. We didn't pay for the gas. We filled it up. We just fed out, left. I remember driving that whole night and uh, having to go back home that morning, you know, to my dad saying, hey, you know, the police called you, uh, police called here saying that, you know, you need to get over there before that manager leaves and you need to pay for that fuel. And I told dad I didn't have any fuel. Well, he gave me his credit card. So I went back to that store, paid for the fuel, and then I topped my car off again with the same credit card. And when I got back home and gave my dad the credit card and he saw the receipt, um, and asked me what happened and I told him that I filled my car up again that's when it really elevated to you know son you need to get out of here you need to get out of my house and so um, I called my baby sister who was at, living uh, in Navasota Texas and uh, they made room for me over there and she was living with her boyfriend and their whole family so it was my little sister her boyfriend he had two brothers and his mom and dad in a two bedroom house and they 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 welcomed me in like I was one of them and I didn't I, I knew them but I didn't know them real well but they welcomed me in uh, for that I'm grateful for um, and this is when I got introduced to uh, the gang uh, my sister's boyfriend and two brothers were involved in a gang and uh, I feel like I need to say this um, you talked about in your testimony as, as a representative representers. Yeah. and I've, I've never really looked at myself as a representative but now that you know when, when you explained it better to me to us um that's pretty much what I was. Um, I was never uh, initiated into the gang, but they brought me in and introduced me and everybody pretty much um, accepted me. And for that, I was doing what they were doing. I was representing that color. I was representing that that name um, and just, you know, going to all the parties with them, doing all the things. Um, that comes with it. A lot of drugs, a lot of a lot of clubbing. Yeah. <laughs> at a young, at, before I turned 21, we was getting drunk in the bars, and nobody ever said anything to yeah. us. But um, I got crossed. You know, in, in this time frame, I, I tried to better my life. 
I there was things that I was getting kind of I hated myself, um, and I know I knew people hated me. Uh, I knew people in my family were scared of me. You know, my one of my sisters will tell you, "You scared me." I hated being around you because I was so scared of you. And uh, but there was times in my life I was just like maybe too high on marijuana that I would I would stop and think, you know, I need to do something different and. I'll tell this quick story. And I remember your pastor preaching a few weeks ago. He told a, a story about how he uh, almost drowned in, in the water. And uh, I kind of had that same experience um, when we went to this Washington on the Brazos uh, the mm-hmm. River uh, out there by Brazos, Texas. And in Washington County, and there was a place called the Rocks where people used to go and would bring barbecue pits. And you know, when the water was down, and it was just like a partying place. You know, people drink beer out there and everything. And somebody had bet me a, a, a pack of cigarettes that I couldn't swim across the river. And so, me being young, arrogant, whatever, I attempted it, and. Uh, got caught up in a undercurrent or undertow wow. what they call it and uh, started swimming for a ways and then my shoulders started locking up and I, I realized I wasn't getting closer to the bank I was getting farther from the bank and from the people that oh, were wow. that were right yeah, there that'd be terrifying uh, and I started it was um, and it 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 hurt me for a while, man. I, I was scared of water for a long time. But as I was trying to swim back, uh, I started screaming for help. People started coming to help me. I was frantic. I was I was uh, panicking. And whenever somebody would get close to me, I would just kind of grab them and try to... At this point, I had, I had swam out of the undertow. But I was still in the water a far ways away. My shoulders was locked up. And I was like trying to grab, man, this guy is peeling out on the road. And I hope he don't hit my car. I'm sitting in my car, by the way. It's quiet. <laughs> but um, um, I remember at that point that everything just got black. Everything just got dark, and it really, it literally felt like I was hovering in midair. I didn't hear anybody that was around me, and it was just, it felt like at least 10 minutes I was elevated in this blackness. I couldn't see nothing. I couldn't hear nothing, and it had me kind of startled. Like, I didn't know what was going on, and then all of a sudden, I hear from a long ways away, I hear somebody screaming my name. And when I opened my eyes, the person that was screaming my name wasn't a far ways away, but right there beside me. And I was still in the deep. And I just, all of a sudden, I just started swimming with everything I had. And I swam literally till my fingers dug into the sand. And and even then, I was just clawing, trying to get out of the water, trying to get into the the banks and as soon as I got up I just started puking up like tons of water it felt like gallons of water just coming out of my system 
And I think it was at that point, you know, I always said up to this point, I always said if I ever went to church again, it would be a Pentecostal church. But at this point in my life right here, I really felt like God had deserted me. And I, I don't know why I felt that, but I, I just felt like, because somebody asked me one day, well, did you see a light? I'm like, no, I didn't see a light. I saw darkness and God wouldn't even show me where to go. <laughs> you know, and that's what I really felt like inside. And I know that wasn't the case. I, I think God was trying to probably, if anything, trying to show me that, hey man, yeah, you're going exactly. nowhere. It's your life right now. You're going nowhere. It's blackness. And, you know, it kind of makes me think of that scripture nowadays that, I, that, I'm, that I'm living in the church. I, I think of that scripture that talks about being cast into outer darkness. And, and every time I every time I hear that or, or read that, I just, I think of that time that I was in the water, like, is that outer darkness? You know, am I waiting on something? And so that was a, a factor in my life that made me think, well, maybe God isn't real. Maybe God is, is just a figment of everybody's imagination and I'm just going to have to deal with life as it comes on my own and uh, so that 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 was a, a factor in my life um, I got mixed up with with a, a kid um, from another gang and it wasn't necessarily me doing or saying anything to some of my homeboys that was with me mm-hmm. at this particular moment. Um, but but the the kid went back and told everybody in, in his crew that I had did I had said something to him, and they were going to retaliate and they were going to they were going to pick a time to to jump me. And this time that they chose was, I, me and some of my friends went to a bar, uh, and we were we were having fun. We were drinking, we were dancing, uh, just having a good time. And uh, at that point in my yeah, life, yeah, what you're saying, time, it's okay. <laughs> but I, I, I remember a guy tapping me on the shoulder and saying, "Hey." Uh, uh, you're going to die tonight. Is all he told me. You're going to die tonight. And I, I watched him as he walked away. And he went to go sit up against the, uh, stand up against the wall where there was some other guys. And the whole night they just stared at me. And I didn't want to, you know, I didn't know what they were doing. I didn't, I was just waiting. I just kept my mind on them the whole night, but still drinking, still having a good time dancing and stuff. But, by the time the night was over with, um, they had left. Um, they, one of them came back and said they was just joking with me and tried to invite me out to a keg party that they were having when the, when the club shut down. Um, but after the club, I, I denied the invitation, but after the club shut down and I went outside, there were a bunch of people from this other gang there uh, waiting waiting for me to come out and things was about to get started one of the guys I knew so I was just going to go over there and talk to him find out what was going on and and everything uh, so I you know I walked up he was sitting in his truck so I walked up to him and asked him if he had a cigarette and 
he made the statement. He said, no, but I got something else for you. And he started getting out of the truck. So I slammed the door shut. And the next thing I know, he starts doing this hootie hoo thing, this uh, gang call. And all these guys start coming towards me. And it was just like in that moment, all of a sudden, there was just like police sirens and police cars all coming to that area. And I, I think uh, something happened to a point where somebody let the cops know that, hey, there's something to go down over here. And so they, uh, the police came over there. Uh, they did their thing. You know, they stopped anything before it ever got started. And they, they singled me out with my friends and they told us to go ahead and leave and we left. And that night I kept getting phone calls all night long, you know, and these messages they were leaving were, hey, you're going to die. You're going to die. We're going to get you. You know, this stupid white boy, we're going to get you. And um, it made me want to do something else. You know, I, I literally was scared, you know. Like, it, I was, like, literally watching my back everywhere I went. And I didn't feel like I could trust anybody. And I kind of got into a... a, a Big time disagreement with my friends over the deal. Um, yeah, I'm not going to go into detail, but I felt being deserted by them, you know, even. So um, over a period of time, I was trying to do things better. Um, I was accused of shooting a house. I was accused of uh, vandalizing a car. And, and at that point, the cops were inquiring about me. Um, and I made, you know, I, I gave them alibis and they checked out, you know. But I remember one night I just, I hung up the phone after I got off the phone with the police and I just started bawling and crying. And I said, God, I said, I honestly don't know if you're real. I don't know if you exist. I don't know anything about you anymore. But I made the comment. I said, but if you are real, I said, can you please get me out of this situation? And... I, feel, I, I remember crying and falling asleep. And that next morning, I heard my phone ringing and I picked it up and it was my little sister who at this point was having some disagreements with her boyfriend at the time. They had separated. She had a little girl, little baby. Um, I was uh, 20, 22 at this time, 21 or 22 at this time. And... She had asked me if I could drive her to Independence, Kansas, and that she wanted to go move in with mom. And so I said I would. So I drove her up here to Independence, Kansas. And this is where I've been since that day. Now, I didn't give God the glory for it. Yeah. Uh, I just, I thought it was just something that, you know, that just happened. You know, even though I prayed about it the night before, get me out of this situation, get me out of this place. And the next morning, bam, <laughs> I'm driving my sister's car to my mom's house in another place. And I failed to give God glory for it. I failed to acknowledge God doing that for me. And so what had happened was, I took a job. I, I had a I had my CDL. Um, 
there's a lot of stuff that I skipped over, brother. You know, and I'm, I'm not going to go back to it, but I had acquired my CDL um, earlier when I turned 19. But so I had my CDL, and so I took a job driving a truck over the road. Um, and I did that um, for a, a short amount of time. Um, but I was still smoking the weed. Um, I was still drinking. A lot of times I would stop at truck stops and walk over to the store across the street, buy a beer, and go back to my truck and drink it. Or uh, or on the weekend when I was home, I'd, I'd go and get me some weed or go to a bar or something and just kind of get along, staying in that same uh, mind frame. But I remember uh, I'm talking about, I'm thinking of going to my conversion right now. Um, I remember driving one time. I, I had this I had this crazy feeling that, um, and I, I can't explain the feeling, but I had this crazy feeling that my life was going to end. At one point in my life, 